you're visiting with us this morning. I know we've got a few visitors. Uh, thank you for joining with us, being a part of the Bendigo Church of Christ this morning. Uh, boys and girls are just heading out now. Also wanted to uh, just let you know that uh, uh, Operation Christmas Child uh, in, in some ways for us is uh, beginning to wrap up. I see that uh, people have been here on the weekend uh, uh, wrapping up all of the boxes into larger boxes in order to be uh, taken down to, uh, to Melbourne, in order to be shipped off uh, for children to be able to receive a gift uh, this Christmas. I wanted to just uh, acknowledge uh, Karen, who coordinates it. Probably couldn't do it without the help of her husband, uh, Rodney. Uh, the Bickfords are very much involved in uh, doing a lot of the work behind the scenes as well. And I know that many of you have packed boxes. You've been committed towards uh, uh, continually driving Operation Christmas Child forward year after year after year. Is there a, a final figure? It's a bit north of what? That's pretty good. I was going to say we, we've got 1,500. Uh, and so this is where I, I need your generosity generosity of spirit and generosity of heart and generosity of uh, hip pocket. Uh, because if we've got 1,500 boxes, then we need $15,000 in order to send those boxes uh, so that we do make sure uh, that the love of Jesus actually reaches children uh, right across the planet. And there was a wonderful... Uh, uh, testimony that Karen gave on Monday night and it was, uh, I won't get this exactly right but uh, you know uh, the gospel reaches around about uh, one in every five children uh, make a decision for Jesus Christ due to the fact of God's love. So it's not just a box and they think where did this all come from? What's this about? But there's actually material in there as well that actually points them towards the good news of Jesus and God's love for them through his son and the importance of what Christmas is all about. Amen. So uh, come on church. Come on. We can uh, give and we can raise that money to make sure those boxes uh, get to where they need to go. Let me pray for the word this morning. Almighty God we thank you again for your word. Uh, Lord we thank you for the book of Acts and we thank you Lord that it's still being written. 21 centuries on through our lives today as we choose to live it out, as we choose to honour and glorify you. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, just as you have breathed the spirit of life into people to uh, document your word, I pray this morning we need that spirit in us today. We, God, we just need you uh, to fan the flame to encourage us uh, to live this Christian life, to do everything that your word would instruct us to do this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. Well, if you don't know it by now, you haven't been here before. We're in a series from the book of Acts. It's entitled The Gospel Going Global and the importance of turning the world, what we would say, the right way up for the cause of Christ. Last week, we're into chapter 12 of the book of Acts and we spoke there about how James was executed. Peter escaped from prison 
Today we're going to wrap up a chapter 12 looking at how Herod is eaten by worms. That's a nice story, isn't it? Hey? The message is entitled today, The Folly of Fighting God. Little question, what's eating you? We're going to look at Acts chapter 12, verses 20 to 24 today. The key, the key verse is verse 24. And it says, But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And periodically, uh, Luke uh, gives us this progress report on how the Word of God is going through the book of Acts. Of course, we know the secret to church growth is a praying church. But before Luke wrote Acts, of course, he wrote the gospel, didn't he? And in there, Jesus declares in Luke 21, 33, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Folks, everything on this planet is temporary. But Jesus declares his word is going to live forever. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. You know, when all of this chaos is all turned to dust and when God extinguishes the stars in heaven, the word of God will still go on forever. When I do uh, grocery shopping, I always uh, check the use-by dates. Yeah, You do that, don't you? You want things to last for as long as they possibly can. But you know, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible doesn't have a use-by date. It has a best-before date. And it is best for you to use the Bible before you go to meet your maker or before Jesus Christ comes again. You know, one of the things is the Bible... It's, it's a, a stable foundation in a world that we just see crumbling with chaos. The Word of God will stand forever. And I cannot encourage you. That's why so much, you know, we just want to go through the Word each week. We want to make sure we're presenting what the Bible says. I want to make sure that nobody here can say, I never got to know the author before I left. So, by way of context, we ended in verse 19 last week. It said, After Herod had made a thorough search for him, that him is Peter, and did not find Peter, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So last week we saw how this powerful prayer prevented Herod uh, from plotting against Peter and freed him from prison. Herod got angry. This guy blew a gasket, didn't he? He had all 16 of the guards executed because of him. The only logical explanation was that there must have been an inside job. Somebody must have let him loose. And so humiliated he heads back to his hometown of Caesarea. And that's the setting for the passage today. So a little bit of historical context as we have a look at our video this morning. Thanks, guys. Caesarea Maritima, meaning the city of Caesar by the sea, was built by Herod the Great on the Mediterranean coast, about 70 miles northwest of Jerusalem. 
Caesarea was one of Herod's massive building projects, and it was built over an earlier site known as Stratton's Tower, which was founded in the 4th century BC by King Stratton of Sidon. According to the historian Josephus, Herod's construction of this new and expansive city occurred between 22 and 10 BC. Caesarea's layout was typical of other ancient Roman cities with well-planned streets, an underground sewage system, an aqueduct, a Roman temple dedicated to Caesar Augustus, an amphitheater, and a harbor. The harbor at Caesarea is probably its most impressive feature, believed to be the first artificial harbor in the world. It was built with a technique that used hydraulic concrete made from special volcanic sand. This sand, known as Patsulana, was the secret ingredient that allowed the concrete to form and harden underwater. Since there was no natural harbor at Caesarea, engineers carved into the coastline and built a huge breakwater using this revolutionary technology. The scope of construction here was massive, with concrete blocks as large as 39 feet by 49 feet by 5 feet, and some weighing more than 50 tons. The southern breakwater for the harbor extended more than 1,500 feet out into the Mediterranean Sea. Extra blocks beyond the breakwater were used as foundations for lighthouses and statues. It must have been quite a sight. According to geologic analysis, scholars have determined that the concrete used at Caesarea Harbor was made with Pozzolana imported from the Gulf of Naples over 1,200 miles away. It took hundreds of ships to get all that sand across the Mediterranean Sea. By the way, curing cement underwater was such a revolutionary process that after the fall of the Roman Empire in the 5th century, the technology was lost to the entire world for hundreds of years. In about 130 AD, an earthquake severely damaged Caesarea Harbor. Within a few centuries, the harbor ceased being used at all. Today, the majority of the harbor is only visible from the air or through underwater exploration. And talk about underwater exploration. Apparently, there is still a lot of cool stuff to discover out there. In fact, in May of 2016, scuba diving archaeologists uncovered a 1,600-year-old shipwreck that contained one of the largest treasure troves of statues and coins ever discovered in the Mediterranean. All right. Again, we always want to make sure that we understand there's real people, real places, real history that we are speaking into. And so let's uh, pick up the story, verse 20. It says, Herod had been quarreling. He was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. It's in its present tense. And so when you think of Herod, uh, think of this person who's he's just an angry man. You ever met people that are just, they're just continuously angry? That was his sort of demeanor. You know, in Proverbs 29, verse 2, it comes to mind, when the wicked rule... The people groan. And that's the way it was under this tyrant. It's not clear what uh, uh, the city's got him so uh, hot-headed about and so fired up, but it says there, they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace. 
because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So these uh, two towns, they, they always had sort of trade things that were going on with Israel, but they relied on Israel for grain. And we know that things were a little bit dire because back in chapter 11, we read these words. During this time, some prophets came down to Jerusalem, to Antioch. I always think that's funny in the scriptures. Jerusalem's here, Antioch's up here, and they come down to Jerusalem. It's a bit like us saying, I'm going up to Melbourne. We don't say that, do we? So it's not actually talking about the positions uh, geographically on the map. It's talking about the altitudes, okay? Uh, Jerusalem was higher and uh, uh, Antioch lower. So during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Ag- Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And so if we have a look at the map, you can see on the coast there uh, where uh, uh, Tyre and Sidon are and how down low uh, Caesarea. Modern day sort of Syria, uh, Lebanon, that sort of area is where we're talking about. Now these guys, they depended on the grain harvest. We're not too sure why during this famine that Herod actually uh, denied them access, but it seemed if he was a grumpy old man, he, he probably just enjoyed making other people's lives miserable. Verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Uh, historians tell us the appointed day. And of course, this is a, a real uh, fact in history. Uh, we've got Luke's account in the Bible. We've got Josephus. He's a Jewish historian. Uh, we've got Eusebius, another historian, mentioning this actually happened at a point in history. So the appointed day was part of a two-day celebration. It began on the 1st of August, which was uh, Claudius's, the emperor's birthday. It also coincides with August being the time of the harvest festival, okay? It's a time of harvest. So the first day was for Claudius, but the second day was to honour Herod himself. So the date is important. It was a time now where the people would gather in this area in order to purchase the grain that they needed. So Herod's dressed in his royal apparel. Historian Josephus says that the robe was silver. So you just imagine this silver robe. You imagine all the splendor. Can you imagine the Middle Eastern sun sort of hitting this robe and glistening in your eyes? What's more, it was actually said that it had these these little silver balls on it. It's a bit like a, a disco ball, if you can imagine. This guy was lit up in all this splendor and glory. It was quite a, a spectacle for the king to stand up. The throne... You know the throne? The throne was called the beamer, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the seat of judgment where the king would judge others. And so from this spot, Herod spoke. Here he is. He's on his throne. He's the king. The light that's reflecting off of him in all this splendor. The tense here indicates he's a little bit like your pastor when he was speaking to the people. 
He went on and on and on and on. Verse 22. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not of man. And it's in the present continuous sense. So they continue to shout it again and again and again. Do you remember when they, they shouted crucify him? It's the same sort of thing. Over and over, this incessant repetitiveness. This is the voice of God, not of man. You love the praise of people? Do you sort of get off when people acknowledge you and, and, and you sort of stand up to the applause of others, the praise of others? You know, I remember my dad saying to me, uh, Andrew, don't let all the nice things people say about you go to your head. Never a truer word, hey? Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It's so important, isn't it, when we live our lives. We don't live for the praise of others. We don't live for our own self-importance. We're to live for the glory of God. Yeah? doesn't matter whether you're a teacher or a truck driver. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a plumber. It doesn't matter if you're a, 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 a construction worker or a comedian. Got a comedian. There's more than one in the church this morning. We're to do it all. For the glory of God. Every area of our lives, continually asking ourselves, does this bring glory to God? You know, at a concert hall in Chicago, a uh, Scottish singer, songwriter by the name of uh, Harry Lauder, the place was packed. There were people standing in the aisles. And when he had finished, they all stood and applauded and they shouted out, Thank you, thank you, thank you. And in humility, Lauder replied, don't thank me. Thank the good Lord who put this song in my heart. And that's the way it's to be with us, isn't it? Yeah, we're to be reflectors of God's glory. We're always to give him praise and honour. But you know, sometimes the ego in the sin nature kicks in. The crowd were pampering and praising this pompous king over and over. This is the voice of God. This is the voice of God. You can start to think you are somebody, can't you, when people treat you like that. But although he didn't know it, this was Herod's final test. Would he receive these blasphemous claims, this praise, or would he quickly uh, refute it? Do you remember in contrast to Peter uh, back in Acts chapter 10? You remember when he went to Cornelius' house? Cornelius bowed down to worship him. And Peter said in Acts 10, 26, Stand up! I too am just a man. But Herod, he denied to deflect the adoration from others. You know, in Romans 12, verse 3, Paul writes, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Be realistic about your self-appraisal. Whenever I can, I like to slip in one of my favourite video clips. It's a humorous look at uh, our ego. Let's have a look. It is all about you. Now the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. 
this amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you, because you are unique and you love you. There is none like me. All this for only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME. Or order online at me-myself-and-I.com. Call today because no one can praise you like you. Oh, it makes me laugh, but it's very, very true. If you could get that one off, thanks. My mum, I like quoting my folks. I don't know if they've got any wisdom or whether it just resonates with me. My mum used to say, Andrew, there is no smaller package than a person wrapped up in themselves. It's pretty true, isn't it? Yeah? I came across this uh, poem. This might uh, interest you. Listen to this. Some time when you're feeling important. Some time when your ego is up. Some time when you take it for granted that you're the only prize-winning pup. Some time when you feel that your absence would leave an unfillable hole. Just follow these simple instructions and see if it humbles your soul. Take a bucket of water and fill it. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Now pull it out fast and the hole that remains is the measure of how you'll be missed. Winston Churchill said this, the cemeteries are filled with men who thought that they were indispensable. There's only one indispensable person, and he is the head of the church. That is Jesus Christ. I think one of the dangers is for us to always make an overestimation of the value of our worth. Folks, I think it's a serious sin to take God's glory. To set yourself in the middle of people's praises. Exodus 20 verse 4, the very first commandment in God's top 10 is, You shall have no other God before me. The interesting thing about that is sometimes in our own sin nature we think, So I can put him first and have all these other little gods. No, no, no. There is to be no other God at all allowed. God wants your total allegiance. He doesn't want to compete. So it's God first and there is no second. He wants to be the ch not the chief thing. He wants to be everything. Someone said it like this. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Psalm 115 verse 1 declares, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. You see, part of the reason for that is that that's there to declare because we want to continue to absorb. We take God's glory, whereas we need to actually always be saying, Not to us, not to us, not to us, Lord God, but to your name be the glory. You see, when you're giving glory, what you're actually doing is you're magnifying someone 